Hello and welcome to YHTV's Trinity of Life. This is episode 35. I'm Christina Suzuma, your host of this program. Today, we are honored to have with us a lovely individual who strives to help others create balance in their lives through art therapy. I would like to welcome Jonna Butler. Hello, Jonna. How are you today? Good. Hi, Christina. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. It's a delight to be here. Well, it's been wonderful getting to know you, especially before all this came about. And, um, you know, just the, the nice little half hour that we've been having to chit chat back and forth. Usually what we've had in the past was we were able to actually live stream that so that people could actually hear our chit chat before the oh, show wow. actually began, which was really fun because you know, it didn't make a difference whether it had begun or not. We could refer to things that we'd spoken about. <laughs> but right now, we're just going, you know, because of uh, technical reasons, we've had to cut that out for for um, for a little while. And hopefully we can bring that back. It was pre and post. So you, from the entertainment industry at one time in your life, completely understands that, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Um, so, Jonna, um, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, like where you're from and, oh, and your, sure. what you've done and your journey? Um, I am originally from the Midwest. I grew up in Minnesota and in Montana. Um, and at an early age, I got into the entertainment business and started working, doing music videos and commercials and some films as a production designer. And from that, I moved into directing. So it's been a 30-year span. kind of. Wow, that's amazing. We need someone like you here. <laughs> <laughs> to be another part of our, our whole thing, you know. So, um, so wow, that was a 30-year span. Well, kind of. That's sort of aging me, but 20 20 to I'm right with you. I'm right with you. I've been in the industry for 30 years as well. So it's, oh my it's God. been, yeah. <laughs> we see your competition here. <laughs> so what brought about, I mean, from that whole entertainment industry, which I, it's, it's kind of interesting for me, it's, it's sort of like living the world of make-believe and, you know, um, and then coming into this world where it's factual, it's alive, it's something we have to face every day. Um, coming from that world to being a psychotherapist, what brought about that change? That's quite a change. It is. Um, with film or production design, you have kind of instant gratification because you see what you made, it's right there, it's done. Mm -hmm. Whereas therapy is something different. It's not as tangible. It's often very subtle. It often takes a long time to see results. Um, but it is also very rewarding. Mm. I love working with people. I love helping people. I've been blessed to be helped throughout my life by various people, starting with an art teacher, which probably started this whole journey. Wow. And in high school, this specific art teacher, I think, changed my life. Mm. So that's my entry into the creative professional world and then into the art therapy world. Mm -hmm. so, so can you share with us how this individual influenced you with such power, really? 
Um, I came from a fairly unsettled childhood background, um, which many of us did and mm -hmm. do, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> and I found in painting and in that painting class, I could relax, I could balance, I could find a sense of mastery that I didn't find in the academics so much. Um, I did quite well because it fit my way of learning and expressing myself. And he was very encouraging. And he could see the potential in many young people and worked very well at nurturing that. Mm -hmm. So was this in the high school years? That was the high school years, yeah. And my parents were very business-oriented, do not take any art classes, it's a waste of your time. I actually <laughs> had to do it under the table, pretty much. And then when I won some contests, they were like, well, maybe this is more important to you than we think it should be. But Oh. And, and you know, isn't that interesting? Because I, I do believe there was that generation. Um, because I, I know I had some siblings that thought the same way when, you know, my nieces and nephews wanted to go into art and actually take courses in art. It was like, oh, no, why do you want to be an artist? I mean, you can't sell anything until you die. <laughs> right. So I think there was a generation where that was the concept. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I was working with elderly people for a while and they often had not even picked up a crayon or a pencil since they mm. were four-year-olds because it was thought of as a, a hobby, as something, you know, you have to be talented in. It was not a part of life mm -hmm. so much as it is, hopefully now. Well, when you think about it too, though, these days, um, what is the first thing they cut out of education? Art and music. Can you believe that? And it's like, here we are as parents struggling to bring that back into the system, you know? <laughs> it's like, it's it's the therapy of art and music and, and how the brain waves work, right? And motor skills. Absolutely. And how your neurotrans ways are developing and your memory is imprinted very differently, whether you hear it through music or you see it visually mm -hmm. or you can aesthetically make it, you know, your hand up to your brain. And when you're working with very young children, they use their whole arm, and it becomes a whole movement with their whole body. And as we get older, of course, we become more, more restricted. <laughs> <laughs> Only if we choose to be more restricted, I think. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, the etiquette of, oh, keeping your own little space, right? Hiding it from others so no one judges you. Isn't that amazing what happens as we get older? You can, t you can completely... Uh, scope the developmental ages as people become more, I guess, shy about their work and showing their work. Yeah, yeah. Oh, amazing. Well, that that's, I, I can see why, to a certain point, why you would enter into this, this other realm of, you know, therapy. Um, so, so what is it that compelled you to actually change from the entertainment industry into I'm assuming going back for your studies. Um, several things. As we discussed earlier, the whole uh, change of analog to digital, which 
very much changed production design world. And I wanted to do something to help people. I think in the second half of your life, you very much, that's important and an important part of aging and giving back to younger people and giving back the way people who believed in you mm-hmm. inspired you and gave back. Um, I've, like I said, art has always been a means for me of expressing myself of gaining self-confidence, of stabilizing when I felt out of balance. And just looking at art is very enriching. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, to be a production designer, you must have quite an eye and, you know, a love and a passion for art because that is really creating it on a whole nother scale. Yeah, you're very fortunate to work with... um, Every material made to man, basically, mm-hmm. and um, construct things that you would never think of. I'm one job I bid was designing a road that actually had to have a car drive up it thirty feet into the sky. Wow! So you're you're there's all kinds of things that go into play then. Yes. That that's uh wow. <laughs> and did they film that? Was it a commercial or, or it was and it they ended up not shooting it actually. But you still have to figure out everything and budget it and oh my how it, how it's gonna be engineered Oh, but how fun. Talk about creativity at its nth degree, right? Absolutely. And the blessing of working with craftspeople and all of these kind of arts that are you see less and less, mm-hmm. like a sign maker, welder, so many things. I've worked with plaster makers. Oh, amazing, amazing. So, so tell us. So you go back to school. You have uh, you're studying for that's quite a few years, isn't it? It's almost like four four years. Uh yeah. For the art therapy. Um, there's you become a registered art therapist and to get that accreditation you it's a master's level skill mm. and you take courses very similar to psychology and at the same time you also take courses in art and art materials and how they interact with people and what different things mean as far as choices of materials or if a person draws something a certain way, I mean, we're we're able to diagnose and analyze. But that's only one small segment. Mm. And I never want to say that because then that makes people afraid to draw spontaneously. Because right. they're thinking, what is she thinking? And does this mean that? And mm-hmm. I mean, that actually happened in school. Once we kind of knew, oh, this means that. Oh, we weren't doing that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> how funny, how funny. Um, you know, even through art, we don't want to exp- express ourselves, right? After we know what it could mean. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's also something you learn right away is people come with defense mechanisms. Mm-hmm. And we have those defense mechanisms for a reason. They've protected us up to now and kept us together. So you don't want to sit down with someone and in the first session tear away all their defense mechanisms. 
<laughs> which is something you learn that everybody makes that mistake for many years. So what is um what is the difference between art therapy and the traditional conventional methods of therapy? Um, art therapy is essentially another form of communication where an issue, feeling, or thought may be expressed more easily through creating art rather than through talking or conversation. Um, it's another tool. And it's also very good for bringing unconscious material conscious. And because you're making art, you have a product. So you can always refer to that piece of art and say, well, do you see this? I see there's some strong feelings here. It's right there. It's on the table. It's not abstract. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that's easier for a lot of people. To have a tangible piece of evidence about how you felt at that instant. Hmm. And it works very well also in groups. <clears throat> because as a group, you can say, well, this piece reminds me of this. Or maybe you were thinking about this. And you realize that the commonalities through the productions that everyone makes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, how long has art, art therapy been around, so to say, or how long have they recognized it? Um, I would say it's been since the 60s that the colleges have had the accreditation. Mm -hmm. I went to Drexel University, which is in Philadelphia, and that was one of the first schools to get that accreditation. But some of the pioneers have, I mean, Jung basically began the idea with his mandalas and studying of the mandalas and drawing and connecting archetypes and symbols. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then I would say in the 20s and 30s, it was picked up by Americans and then further developed into mm -hmm. a scholarly study <clears throat> and accreditation and licensing. Mm -hmm. So, do you combine both um, the conventional and the art therapy together when you're doing a session? Yeah, I let patients choose because um, often, especially if you're over 20, um, art can be a little daunting. So... I will say, well, we we can use this option or this option, and if you want to explore during that, we'll do that. Um, I think it's a wonderful, wonderful tool. Mm -hmm. But I think the education of the public in general, we need more of it. So I'm so glad for this forum. Mm -hmm. mm, yes, I mean, it's, it's it was interesting. When, when you said you did art therapy, it brought back old memories for me. Because when I was a teenager, a very young teenager, I had what people considered at that time a conflict or I was a difficult child or however. But, you know, we, we were, my family was pretty conservative, <laughs> so to say. And, and I just didn't fall within those boundaries. I just loved to push my boundaries. And, you know, I wasn't into drugs and things like that. But it was just, 
They just didn't know how to handle me because I also had to answer for everything. So they threw me into uh, a therapy. And at that time, it was still, oh, mom's the word, you know, nobody wants to know. It's like, that's not a great thing in general public to think of your child or someone in your family going for therapy, you know, or what's wrong with them, because that was the stigma at that time. And I could remember walking in, I was quite a mature, I guess I was 13, I was quite a mature 13-year-old. And the first thing the therapist asked me to do, he gave me a sheet of paper and a box of crayons. And I looked at him and he said, draw something. I said, what would you like me to draw? He said, anything. And of course, I was never used to that. You know, when you're in school, you're always asked to draw something. I went, oh boy, okay, what am I going to draw? You know, and I I was not really into art. And I I do believe because it was a self-worth issue because my brothers and all were great with art. And, you know, being the youngest, you can't quite do (laughs) what someone five years older than you can do, you know, motor skill-wise. So I drew and I drew a family. And he, it just, I could see in his eyes, he looked at it and looked at me and went, talk to me about this. And I said, a family. And he said, hmm. and he here he is, well, your family just sent you here, there's issues in the family, and yet, you know, it's not like I have issues with my family, you know. So he looked at, and I could see how perplexed he was. And honestly, in the end, you know, we, we you know, I had several sessions with him, and that was the only time I did art. And, but long story short, it was that was like my first um, experience with a therapist. Wow. Yes. Yeah, so, and almost, you know, the only experience with a therapist. Um, so doing that and then hearing you say that you do art therapy, it made me kind of think about that and go, oh, how interesting. Like from back then to now. And it's like, how has it evolved to now? And what is it you would be able to analyze and see through the art? this day yeah absolutely i mean doing a family drawing is very very informative and it is something for people that are in therapy longer that we very often do and it brings up a lot of anxiety so Mm. it's interesting that you went straight there i I went straight there and and he even questioned he says so why is everybody happy because they're happy. <laughs> it was this. It was really interesting. Yeah, but uh, to not know what to draw, and then oh, this is the first thing that comes to mind. So I just drew it, and he says, "Aren't you angry with him?" I said, "No." <laughs> I said, "Why? Why would I be?" So I'd always ask a question after a question was asked. <laughs> so I don't think we quite hit it off very well, actually. <laughs> it's very hard at that age. I mean, you don't, it's an age where you already don't trust authority and you're being sent somewhere because you're supposedly a bad child. And so the setup's already a lot to deal with. Right. And, and that often is how art crosses the border mm, because yes. it can help young people connect more with their authentic self. Mm. And not the mm. self they put forward to the public or the family. Mm-hmm. Um, and the art 
will cross that line for them. Mm. Mm. Well, it makes sense. It makes sense. Now, um, is this mainly for children, would you say? or um... I believe that children respond just magically to it because it's so natural for a child to create and to draw or make collage. It's mm -hmm. just part of their being. And as we get older, we become more critical of our products. Mm -hmm. So it becomes a different situation. Um, but I have worked on the spectrum from two-year-olds to 95-year-olds. In every age group, there was something for them. For the 92-year-old, maybe they have motor sensory issues or dementia. And the art Ooh. is a way to get through to another part of their brain and to stimulate what is remaining of their cognition and the sense of self-expression. You know, you can take, often with elderly, I've used ink and rollers. And just to have that big ink splash across the page with a form is so, it brightens them right up. How interesting. So, so they would do the splotch themselves or? Yeah, a lot of times the rollers might have a texture on it or a pattern or a flower. Mm -hmm. And depending on the cognition level of the person, if it's a one-step one process or two-step process, doing the rolling and the ink is one step. So it's, it's very accessible and you immediately have something very nice mm -hmm. and big because often vision impairment comes as we get older. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm. And you sort of can't fail because it's it's just a roller. Yeah. <laughs> and do do so. Uh, how about the the pens or or other craft material? Do you find that the the elderly will also take to it really, really well, or is it more difficult with their with their motor skills? It's almost like that cycle of life where you know that that child's motor skill of holding the pen. I find in a lot of elderly that I work with, um, you know, their motor skills start to go because of arthritis or just the lack of movement and exercise in their hands. Oh, that's a good point. Um, we often adapt things for their hands, such mm. as putting something to make the grip easier on a marker or a paintbrush. Um, 3D materials, great, mm. because it's 3D, so it's in front of you and you're working it in a three-dimensional way, which mm. is also easier for the brain than 2D projection. So when you said it would be like clay or something like that? Yeah, that clay, model magic. Um, sometimes I had to be careful of people eating things. Mm. Um, but cooking was something else I've done. Um, at UPenn, they had a... Um, independent living situation where they were trying new things for elderly. And one of them was cooking. And it was wonderful because people in their 90s, cooking is part of their life. I mean, especially women, but also men. And the smells of cooking mm -hmm. and sitting down and being served and 
whatever their capacity was to contribute between the smell and the sensory and the body, it it just didn't matter for some of these people who were often in the final stages of dementia and very close down and hard to reach in other ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's so so cooking was another form of art. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's wonderful. I love that because I, I love to cook. And I've always believed, you know, food is life and gift and and for everyone to take part in some way is uh, it's it's creative. It's creative and as you say, the taste, the smells, you know, it's sort of the memories it, it evokes. Yes. Yes. Wonderful. Wow. That's I and so but that would be in a very specific situation that you could apply that sort of right. therapy. Um, I've also worked in a situation where we did that with adults, but you do need a kitchen facility and you need to safe-proof things depending on the clients. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. It, a lot of facilities don't have that, but it is an optimal thing to do. Mm. Oh, how fun. I'd like to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to do that one. Uh, so, um, so I mean, uh, so really, this art therapy is good for people of all ages. Usually, your focus is more with the younger generation. Uh, yeah, I've been do moving towards that a lot because, partly because a lot of our creative programs have been cut out of schools, such as music and art, mm-hmm. and I feel there's a very big need to incorporate that with mm-hmm. learning and also a lot of behavioral issues social issues academic issues art therapy is another way to work through those things mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's kind of a backdoor creative way versus talk mm-hmm. and maybe in some cases, be more effective. Right. I wonder what it what it would be like to start <clears throat> implementing that because our the schools, I mean, I know they they do their best, and teachers, you know, still believe in the art and music. It's just that they don't have the time or the the means or the the materials. Really, they have no budget for the materials. To you know, what it would be like for them to have, like, after-school programs for art, because it is really a creative outlet for kids. Oh, absolutely. Um, And a way to express what they're feeling Mm -hmm. in a way that, for many kids, is more natural. I mean, a child, for instance, that's having issues with social anxiety, it's not going to want to talk. So using art materials is another way to express what's going on. Mm. And also I've used it in video game addiction. And it's another way to branch into something more creative. Interesting. Can you you elaborate a little more about video game addiction? (laughs) Um, I, I do believe a lot of parents out there you know, between the video games and the iPads and the iPhones now, you know, they would like to hear this one. Well, it's a it's a way to, I say, shake things up for a better word. Um, 
you're working with materials that you might not have worked with before. You're doing it in real time, real life with your whole body. Um, you're interacting with the others in the group. I tried to do video addiction with groups. Um, and yeah, the socialization and the art also contains the strong feelings that come up because a lot of depression and anxiety comes up when you do a lot of video games. And, and it I guess it would be the type of games that they're playing, right? With all the, the angst, with the com competition. Is that what creates all that, as you say, the, the, the stress on the body? <laughs> yeah. And the game isn't containing it. It's making more. And you're so focused on this one thing that you're only using one part of your brain and one part of your capacities, and you're cutting off everything else, basically. And so helping young people to be more grounded in their world around them and in the space they're sitting in and to each other, I believe that the art therapy really helps facilitate that. Do you feel that, like, us as parents, as preventative situations, um, would it, I mean, how would we do that at home? I mean, would we to encourage our children to do some form of art together as a family, to sort of work with each other and create things, whether it be through cooking or, or through drawing <clears throat> or Lego? <laughs> Absolutely. Family projects are great. Um, you could build a, a little house together. You could, um, make a big collage together. You could make cards for somebody. You could cook, as you said, any kind of project, basically. Um, and if your child is spending a lot of time on those mediums, um, they need a way to express. So journaling, maybe if they have a sketchbook and each day they put some visual things, maybe a picture they cut out of a magazine or they draw something, just something that gets their attention and something that's their own and something that you can talk about. Well, that's interesting. Um, and of course, but what happens when the child is... Uh before they're able to write? Um, as I said, when I worked with two-year-olds, um, they just naturally, you, you, you put materials on the table and it's just a scramble. It's like candy for them. <laughs> <laughs> and in the mouth, right? <laughs> <laughs> that too. But you can be sure all the paint colors are going to be brown because they love yeah. to just go like this with red, green, and yellow till it's brown. <laughs> But um, they, once they begin in the art making, they are very, it, it opens them. They become much more relaxed and comfortable with themselves and expressing themselves. It's similar to play therapy. Mm -hmm. You know, you're playing out these different scenarios 
whether it be on paper, whether it be clay. Um, sometimes we do life drawings, like put a child against the wall and draw around them. And they may talk about different areas of their body if they're having pain issues or mm. some other type of disability. It, it makes it more real for the child. Mm. And it makes it, them able to engage in a play type of situation. So do share with me children that young um, needing therapy or needing your assistance, uh, what, in what situations have sort of brought them to you? The children I saw had been through a lot of trauma. Um, with their, a lot of them were foster kids or their own parents were incarcerated. They had, some had already tried to commit suicide when they were three years old. Three years old? I mean, they don't understand the concept, but to do self-harm, like jump out a window or wow. run into traffic or chew on glass. Or so you're reparenting them, basically, in that situation. It's, we really have to take a breath because, you know, we're so fortunate. Every day, you know, you look around and, yeah, you know, as the human being is, we're never quite content with what we have, is it? <laughs> we're always wanting more of something. And, and then, you know, it humbles us to know that here is a child at two or three years old attempting their form of suicide and wanting to leave. And you know, sort of in that short a time, how desperate that poor little spirit was and what they had gone through. And you know, and sometimes it starts prenatally. If the mother was physically abused by the father, the fetus is going to register that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The fear and, and the, trauma, the, the traumas. The fear, the cortisol. Um, and then if the mother was addicted to some type of substance, the baby is detoxing, basically. When it's born. Mm -hmm. So that's its first trauma. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. As being post-birth. Mm -hmm. But as I said, the people that help these children, I was blessed to be around them, and they're very, very great people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you can make quite a difference when the younger you start, of course. Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, my goodness. That's quite, oof, that's. Some wonderful work you've done there, Jono. Oh, you. you know, I always say that uh, it's individuals such as yourself that are helping that new generation come up and, you know, helping them through. What is, it's, it's tough being a kid. <laughs> you know? People think, oh, they're just kids. It's not easy being a kid. I mean, they develop so fast within the first five years and there's so much, you're sponges and they take in so much. And it's wonderful if they were nurtured and loved, but for those who weren't as fortunate, you know, to have individuals such as yourself around to help them through and guide them, I think it's and to nurture them, really. Find, help them find that voice through art. It's amazing, amazing. Really, thank you so much for gifting your expertise to these kids. Um, 
What do you think, uh, or how do you feel, Jonna, with, um, okay, we, we've kind of talked about technology and, and how that's sort of shifting uh, our world and our kids. Um, now, there's a whole nother generation that's coming through now that, you know, it's about, it is a form of art where they begin to actually mark their own bodies with tattoos. What does your core of experts, how do you see that? Or what, what is that new generation about? You know, I always think about tattoos and piercings um, as wanting to belong to a certain group mm -hmm. or kind of a way to say, I'm a part of this group. And unfortunately, often they're kind of permanent, but <laughs> I think that often is the impulse mm -hmm. of doing those things. And I've done them through my life. And I understand why I did them at the time. And I think that was, for sure, one of the impetuses for doing it. And it's a way also to be creative. You know, saying, my body is my canvas. But I more see it as a, a group identity. And so through the group identity is like a self-expression on top of that. Absolutely. Because, I mean, you choose the tattoo, you choose the color, uh, you choose where to put it on your body and why you choose to put it somewhere on your body. Um, there's usually a certain amount of pain that goes with it. So that's another aspect. That's a Often, uh, if we're not feeling, like we numb ourselves down because we have painful events happen, mm. that may be a way to feel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So do you ever have the um, opportunity to analyze something like that? Um, yeah, actually. Um, my sister did a lot of documentary photography on tattoo artists. That was her subject for a little while. Mm. She's a photographer. and. We would often look at the images together, and I would just say, "Well, this kind of reminds me of this or this." Kind of and it, she'd talk about the person's personality, and it often was similar. Mm. Wow! Because you usually choose what an image, a color, you know, a work of art, piece of pottery, mm -hmm. because something in you is resounding to that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And as art therapist, you try to find out what that is. You know, is it the color? Is it the texture? Is it the, does it remind you of a place? Does it remind you of a person? You know, you have this whole vocabulary when you work with art mm -hmm. that enables you to discuss so many things. So all these forms of art and all this way of analyzing it and, and looking at it through therapy, it's, uh, I find it really amazing. And 
my my love, of course, is uh, children, children, and how we can always support them in their journeys as well, um, because you know they are our future, they are the future of our planet, and and uh, they're really an essence of who we are and what we choose to teach them. So the more they are creative and out there, then I feel that hopefully the better this world will become. <laughs> so. Um, have you ever experienced like going into a school environment and working with kids on that level? Uh, yes, I have. Um, that's a very good way, and that is a way that traditionally art therapists have worked a lot mm. through the schools because the schools know a lot about who's maybe having some behavioral issues or who's having some academic issues. and They will often say, well, this child may benefit from this. Um, Currently, the schools are doing less of that, so it's more that I will get a referral maybe from a school counselor. So I'm seeing the person outside of school. Um, I shared with you earlier that I worked in Harlem doing drama therapy with kids at risk. Right. And that was an after-school program, and the kids loved it mm -hmm. because basically a lot of kids, especially inner-city urban, are in a institution with fluorescent lighting from 8 in the morning till 6 at night. And they're eating crappy food, and they're not able to move around. Just the normal things that everybody needs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So giving these children the option of moving around, of expressing themselves, of being creative, of having some self-mastery, is just really great. Mm. Mm. Wonderful. Um, so, Jana, um, can, would you like to give us an um, a experience on what you do and how you do it? I would love to. If you're willing to be a guinea pig I, I am on, so willing to be your guinea pig on camera. Oh, I've stuck my tongue out to this camera for a herbalist. <laughs> I've done all sorts of things. <laughs> So I know that uh, John has given me this very nice, lovely, large piece of paper. So I'm going to try my hand in whatever it is. <laughs> It'll be invisible ink. How's that? <laughs> so what, tell me how, so if any of you have a, a sheet of paper at home or, you know, uh, wherever you're at, I don't, doesn't matter what size. I, I do believe you were saying that you allow the person to choose the size of paper and choose what the uh, writing or drawing instruments are, right? Like you have Absolutely. shared with me the, the few wonderful things here. Absolutely. Uh, we try to provide at least three sizes of paper, um, from 8 by 10 to uh, 11 by 17. <laughs> well, not quite that small. <laughs> um, so that people can pick a size that they're comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And the same with the media. If you would like to use pencils, crayons, pastel, markers, whatever you feel comfortable in. Because I don't want to give someone a pencil and it's just not their thing. Right, right, right. And, and of course, what we discussed was the size of someone's hand in the hold, where if they're really little, they need those really big, thick crayons, right? Or if they're much older, that's what they like. <laughs> oh, developmentally, you just immediately know 
the child age for what they go for. You know, at a certain age, teenagers always go for pencils. At a certain age, a lot of teenagers, I should say, go for markers. Oh. It's just interesting what our development of crayons, of course, at a certain age. And, and do they have a time frame where they have to do things? Like, like do you give them five minutes or ten minutes? or Usually for um, the tasks such as we're doing now, I would give people maybe 20 minutes mm -hmm. because we usually have a discussion ahead of time and then afterwards we all talk about it when you see what comes out from your own drawing. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to condense it really fast. <laughs> <laughs> how, how much time do we have? Uh, we have about, oh, we have about 12 more minutes. So. Oh, that should be. Yeah. Are you a fast drawer? Well, I'll make it fast. <laughs> You know, there was a time where it was that perfection syndrome and I would be like, like this and everything would be this small and I'd show not show anybody because I'd be embarrassed with what I draw. Now I don't care. Well, <laughs> it doesn't matter to me. <laughs> and that's one of the problems with art. I mean, that's that's something I'm always helping people get over because we all had those critiques where we put our pictures in front of the class and they said this is good and this is bad. And that's just so damaging. It is damaging, isn't it? And and uh, yeah, it, it's it's amazing what what someone's eye sees and what someone another person doesn't see, and the perspectives. And you know, the, you kind of get to the point where I could remember someone was looking at even a Van Gogh painting, going, "That's art," <laughs> and he's famous. Yes. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so it's all about perspective, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. So what, what is my duty here? Okay, if you would be kind enough to draw a bridge. And she chose a big red marker. Love, look at big prosperity. It's red and it's big and it's thick and I get to draw a bridge. Any kind of bridge. Any kind of bridge. And don't worry about your drawing ability because it's oh. not about realism or draftsmanship. Um. See, right here, we're already doing therapy because it's a holding environment. I should be making you feel safe, though we're broadcasting. Oh. It should be a different feeling than if you were just drawing at home. I love this big, thick thing. Okay. Okay, so on each side of your bridge, mm -hmm. great. I want you to, if you would, um, Label, like what is the bridge connecting? It can be a real label like New York, New Jersey, or it can be a fantasy. And you can either draw it or write it. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Well, too late now. <laughs> I prefer drawing always, but some people have had enough by that point. There you go. Great. And what is the bridge going over? Oh, it's just connecting the earth to the universe. Okay. And where are you on the bridge? Oh, I'm still... You can do a dot I, you know, and an arrow. A, a dot and an arrow? If you don't want to draw a person. Oh, I, I can do some people. Person. Some people draw a car. I mean, there's all different ways to represent. Well, this is really interesting because I'm here 
And I would say that these aren't halos. These are like, these are just, uh, how's this? My chakras there. Oh, great. That's really great. Isn't that fun? It's like, oh, that's kind of cool. <laughs> I love drawing fast because I can't think. <laughs> <laughs> well, so what do you notice about your drawing? Uh, what do I notice? Let's see. There's lots of sections. One. And what's interesting is each of my little circles, like not really halos, but my little chakras, whatever you can call them, is actually on each step. Well, that's kind of cool. <laughs> that's great. And they're all connected by one thread. Absolutely. So is the bridge. And you use the whole page. And everything's curved. It's curved. Is the bridge going up or down? Going up. It's going up. And are you at the beginning or at the end of the bridge? Uh, I, I'm, at the, I'm at the beginning of the bridge. Exactly. But spiritually on the bridge. Great. So, um, some things we might explore is, is it hard to get up that bridge because it is going up? You know, someone else might have chosen to put themselves at the end of the bridge and it might be going downhill. Oh no, this is a hard bridge. <laughs> <laughs> There's many more steps to this ladder on this bridge. And it goes up, it doesn't come down. That is true. It's a one-way bridge. There you go. <laughs> and it's connected very well to the earth and universe. Mm -hmm. um, one thing we might talk about a little is that how is the bridge supported? How's the bridge supported? Interesting. I uh, from the, its ends because often very many people, myself included draw a bridge without supports and then we might talk about do you need more supports in your life hmm. or where could the supports be hmm, interesting no not this one <laughs> <laughs> hmm. yes it, it's connected right at the beginning right at the end i mean it's pretty well connected it's not like connected by a string it's the whole bridge goes from the earth to the universe, mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. center of it. Lower? Lower? Ooh. Oh, I see, because I can't see what I can see. <laughs> you all are seeing something different. <laughs> and then the, the other question I might ask is, what's the difference between where you're starting, earth, mm -hmm. and the universe? What's the difference? In those two places, for you and your mind. Well, uh, Earth is linear, so it's it's how we live. It's where we're at right now. Um, the universe is more the connection of the spiritual, so that would be what I would consider more the nirvana, the other states of embodiment, or in not embodiment, but of being, basically. So more spiritual. Great. Uh, with the universe, you've drawn it this way? Okay. with more detail. Um, you have more of the cloud thing going on. Yeah. Well, I think because there's so many universes. Now that you 
ask that. <laughs> I didn't think about it then. I thought I didn't think of clouds. I just thought, oh, there's more strokes up here. <laughs> well, that's good because normally the more um, foliage or trees or detail is more of a nurturing place because mm. the earth is kind of bare down there a little. Oh, yeah. The universe, <laughs> the universe is more <laughs> flowing. I mean, it's bigger, it's softer, it's more detailed. It has more of a presence. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. you are very much going up to that. Well, that would be the hope, huh? <laughs> yeah. Which way is your person facing? That would be my next question. So he's facing away or towards us, she? No, away. Away. So we see your back. Yes. Okay. More towards the, 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 the bridge. Towards your goal. Yeah. Okay, well, that's normal. I mean, we normally, when we're meeting someone new, when we're doing this on live TV, um, we don't want to face forward mm. because... We want to, you know, have more privacy. Mm. Some people draw themselves in profile. Some people draw themselves from the back. Some people draw themselves from the front. Some people use something completely different to draw themselves, like a McDonald's cup or something. Uh, oh, interesting. Well, with with that, with I didn't have twenty minutes, so maybe I, <laughs> <laughs> I could have gone into better detail. But you know, I I actually prefer the impromptu because then the mind doesn't get into it. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. You know, because I, th I think our minds play games with us and then it's about the perfection and then it's about the detail and it is about, oh, is that what I really look like? And I, that's what would happen with me as an individual. Whereas if, if I say, well, I've got a few seconds to do this, you'll get it done. Then whatever comes is going to come. Right. And it's like, well, would I draw a bridge like that? Too bad. <laughs> you know, it just comes. So no, that's a great exercise. Often just doing spontaneous scribbling or fast drawing is a great way to loosen up. And yeah. And, I, and it's funny because I'm, I'm watching with this big, thick felt, which I should actually cover because I don't want it to dry up. Do I have to dry anymore? Should I be drying no, anymore? No, that's good. <laughs> um, I just don't want this. This is a gorgeous i mean this is i need a set of these <laughs> you know um it's interesting because i look at the strokes and what what is fascinating to me is because right now at this time my my son is learning um uh, he's in a mandarin immersion program oh. and so he's learning chinese characters oh wonderful and I keep watching. And, of course, they're doing it by pencil, you know, so that they can get the accuracy of the direction. I mean, it's very complicated. And I didn't realize the, the depth of complication. Um, and they say that when they reach, I think, uh, in their fifth or sixth year, they'll start using a brush mm. to actually begin to learn to write the, the uh, characters with a brush, a brush in oh, ink. that's amazing. And I'm like... That's what I want to do, that sort of calligraphy. And as I said, years ago, I would have picked a little pencil and covered up. And then now I find that even 
the strokes when I was doing this, because I've been practicing a little bit of calligraphy with him, there's a certain freedom that is released simply because of working with what he's working with. Oh, that's wonderful. So I'm wondering, you know, isn't, I'm wondering about, you know, not only does language help to the creative, as they say, it's left and right brain, right? When we're studying academically, it's usually the left brain that's very strong because they've removed our art and our music. But in such a program where they're learning how to write characters and, and it's, it's all these lines and different flows of lines, if that is in itself an art form that is going to actually help develop their right brain. Oh, absolutely. With that, hopefully that sense of freedom, because I, I can see it quite clearly in mine. <laughs> That's amazing that you made that correlation, actually. Um, there's a big difference between, you know, writing like this and using your arm, which mm. is more what you did here and probably what you do when you do the calligraphy. Because it's, it's just by the nature of it, you have to move. You have to move. In a different way. Yes, yes. I think right now, um, you know, on a sheet of paper, it would be like fine printing or writing. You know, so that's hence the pencil. But I, I do believe once they start moving into the actual brush and ink, you know, it's such a thing of the past when you think of brush and ink, right? And But it's, uh, I, I guess. It's going to be fascinating to see how these kids develop. Oh, it's wonderful. I mean, they use that a lot with meditation. Yes. Yes, like uh, the Zen meditation. Is that what you're mm -hmm. uh, It's like the, and the sand gardens, right? Raking the, the sand. Amazing, isn't it? It's very, very good. Yes. yes. So, uh, and what do you think about those forms? I think they're wonderful. Um, just often in different child agencies I've worked in, we've had sandboxes or sand trays, and the children would bring little figures or we would supply them, and they would make a whole world within the sand tray and play out whatever they were going through and, you know, have a better ending or a different ending. And it was fabulous. Mm. Because it's so malleable and so textural. And yes. It's a great, great thing. Oh, wonderful. So, so it's not just pens and papers. It's, it's clays. It's plasticines. It's anything to do with art. Exactly. Any material. I mean, with children, because so much of it is often play, play therapy, young children, mm -hmm. it, it can be costumes. You know, mm -hmm. it can be, it doesn't have to be art per se. You know, we can, we can dress up in different costumes and play act something. Mm -hmm. And, and that would be more as a group or more one-on-one? -on -one? Both. Um, a lot of children like to dress, we would often have a big bag of hats and scarves and coats and shoes and, and children just you know, they go to that and they put it on and they act a character and it's so natural for them. Mm, mm, that's wonderful. They might resolve a conflict with another child in different costumes. One's a man, one's a woman, or one's a mom and one's the baby. 
Um, often males, if they didn't get to express femininity at home, they would put on something more feminine and be more feminine for that hour. Hmm. Great. So they have a, wow, you, you're going to need quite a <laughs> arsenal of things. Yes, yes. I can imagine what your office is looks <laughs> like. All these bins. You're going to have to keep all these bins and be like walking into an art store. Which would you like today? Costumes or sandboxes <laughs> or what size paper? Oh, how fun. How fun for you. It is. Because I think the materials themselves make you feel better. I mean, without even starting. Like to look at a bunch of colored paper or Ooh. crayons or colored tissue paper. It brightens you. Yes. You know, it's going to make you happier. Yes, yes. It's all about play. And then do you also have music? I do. Um, I've done a lot of music therapy activities with um, teenagers and with elderly. Mm. Those are two groups that work very well with that. Mm. The teenager, because that's their music, it's their dialogue, it's their world. And the elderly, because it's a part of your brain that can recall songs. Even if you've lost the capacity for speech, you can often sing a song. Yes. And that's great. Because that, that, as they say, it connects to a different part of the brain as well. Absolutely, right? the, the yeah. Music, the music, the tones. and well, Jonna, is there anything you'd like to share with our community before we wrap this up this time? Because I know that we have to bring you back. We did discuss in a whole other different topic, which would be wonderful to get into, which is about women and, um, you know, postnatal and grieving, etc., which we'd love to just focus on that with you. But with uh, this therapy, art therapy for children and, and uh, all different age groups, you know, is there something that you would like to share with everyone, like how, how and when they might want to connect with someone as yourself? Um, sure. I would say that one of the key things that an art therapist does is to help children to recognize and to guide and to work through and reduce or accept emotional, social, cognitive, and psychomotor issues. So if your child is experiencing any of those things, you might want to try art therapy. I think for young people, it's much less daunting than traditional therapy. Mm -hmm. And you, like I said, you have a product that you can discuss with the parent and the child together or do it together, so it's much less threatening. And I just think it's a great way to address issues like that. Mm, thank you so much. Well, thank you, Jana Butler, for sharing your wonderful expertise with us today, and we look forward to bringing you back. <laughs> oh, thank you for um, asking. And, and uh, everyone, you can connect with Jana Butler at her website, which is www jonnabutler.com spelled j-o-h-n-n-a b-u-t 
L-E-R.com. And as most of you will very well know, it is also available on the site right below this interview. And I would like to thank each and every one of you for taking the time to join us and continuing to support us on this new platform of education and information. We're grateful for your continuous support. And we are excited to announce that you can now access uh, the Magical Medical Tour through iTunes. And uh, when you're in iTunes, just look for YHTV. And uh, when you do, you know, if you don't mind taking a moment, we'd really appreciate it by supporting us by rating the show that you might listen to or download. And it's very shortly, the Trinity of Life will also be accessible through um, iTunes, uh, maybe in about a week or so. That will be up there as well. And uh, as a reminder, you can join us live every Tuesday at 10.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 1.30 Eastern Time for a magical medical tour with our wonderful co-host, Dr. Glenn Woolman. And of course, for Trinity of Life here on Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, followed every other week with our new show, Flowing into Awareness with Anatara. Thank you so much again for joining us. And until next time, namaste. Namaste.